thoroughly remarkable and have helped us completely unremarkable feel remarkable. Thank you very much. We are glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. And to all the ladies as well, even if you are um, not a mother, your goodness or your worth or your value does not exist in your productive capabilities. And so we are happy that you're here as well. The feminine graces certainly make our world a far better place. I believe it. Amen? Amen. Okay. We are glad you're here. Well, I'm going to use an illustration from the land of parenting. And again, if you're a parent or if you're not, even if you've been around children, you've probably heard them say something like that, like this. If he gets one... I get one, or if she gets one, I get one. And you may hear that statement, and as a parent or as a passerby or a teacher, you think to yourself, wow, well, that's interesting. And as a parent, you know, you go through these routines, and you think about it, and you know, I've got an 18-month-old little girl, I've got a 5-year-old boy and a 7-year-old boy, and so when it comes time for Christmas... I guarantee you, I am not giving everybody the same gift. Now, I could, I suppose, if I wanted to, but sometimes I can't. I mean, I I can't. Like, I can't afford the same thing for everybody, right? So one gets a scooter, another gets a bike, another gets a dress. And it's appropriate because it's what they need for their level at that point in time. And so those are the gifts I give. Why? Because although I'm not perfect, although I'm not omniscient, I don't know everything, I know my kids well enough to say, I think this would be right for this person at this point in time. My 18-month-old daughter does not need a motorcycle. And even though my 7-year-old boy thinks he wants one, it's not appropriate for him at this point in time. And so I give him the gifts that are good for him at the right time. I know what's appropriate, and in fact, believe it or not, kids, I really do love you like crazy, and I want the best for you, and I'm willing to sacrifice everything I have on your behalf, so if you'll just trust me, I will give you a good gift, one that's appropriate for you, one that you can use and enjoy every day of your life, and guess what? It's not going to be the same as the one I give your brother. It's going to be different. Now, if you've ever gone through this routine, you've probably had this experience, and you know what, let me give you an example. We at um, Christmas time, we got our youngest daughter this thing called a plasma car. And I don't know if you've ever seen those or not, but they're really cool. They're little scoochy things that, you know, have wheels that turn on the front, and they can scooch with their legs, or they can pick up their legs and guide it. So we got it early in the game, and we thought, good, this will give it plenty of time to develop, and yada, yada. And they're kind of small, and they're meant for, you know, certain age groups. Well, before long, guess what? Our oldest is riding her little plasma car, and our middle. And we think, well, it's, it's still too, too little for the oldest, so we get the middle one, and eventually, guess what happens? We've got three plasma cars, right? But there are still things, even though as a parent you experience this, there are still things that you say, you know what, different strokes for different folks. Well, you know, the Corinthians are no different. As you walk into their church, you know, I imagine the Apostle Paul at some point felt like a parent because 
He's seeing the Holy Spirit give them these gifts which are appropriate for them at their specific time to their specific needs. And all of a sudden, everybody in the church is saying, well, if they get one, I want one. And the apostle's like, come on, guys. Look, you're different. You're at different spots at different times. You don't need the same thing. And believe it or not, God loves you. He understands you. He's a good father and even way better than your earthly fathers. He totally understands the beginning from the end and knows exactly what you need all the time perfectly. So trust him. He's going to give you the right gift. Take the gift you have and go with it. Okay? So the theme that we're going to look at today is basically this. It's really simple. It's you be you and don't worry about it. Just you be you and don't worry about everybody else and their gift. Push all that other stuff to the side and you be you. You be you and don't worry about anyone else. And hopefully, as we focus on that statement, what we will do is we will move beyond if they get one, I get one, to instead we will move to I am so happy God gave that to them. I am so happy you got that. That is awesome. You can use that for the glory of God and you are different from me and I'm glad you have that and I don't. Can you imagine saying that to someone else? How freeing that would be for you and how empowering for them. That is what the Apostle Paul is trying to have happen as a result of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. See, we in our context, we get so hooked in on, well, which gifts for me and which gifts for back then and which gifts for today and blah, 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 blah. And that's not really even the point of the whole passage. The passage is to continue the theme of the book of Corinthians in holiness and unity and brotherly love. And so then it's not to focus on the other person's gift, but instead, hey, this is the gift I've got. That's the gift they've got. Let's go with it. Love one another and trust the giver of the gifts. So here we are in 1 Corinthians then, and what you see is this. You see a church, which we've said many a time, hopefully by the end of this series you'll understand this. This is a completely pagan culture. This city is a mess. And we get discouraged, no doubt, sometimes because we look at our culture and we say, whoa, do not like the trajectory, you know, going downhill fast. Immorality seems to be at its peak, but then the next day it gets even higher. We cannot believe the sexuality, the greed, the yuck, the wars, the strife, yuck. But an encouragement to you is that when you look at Corinth, you know what? <laughs> they didn't have electronic pornography on their iPhones. They had it walking right down the street in front of them to a pagan goddess by the name of Aphrodite. And they worshipped her, as I have said earlier, in these ecstatic sexual experiences. And we saw how head coverings and headship and the male-female roles in hair length and things like that fit into that. And Paul, in the previous chapter, said, Hey, you know, be respectful, be wise about how you go about doing things because we want to be clear in our culture that we don't want to carry over from paganism. Okay? So in a similar way, in this chapter, now we're talking about gifts. And everybody in this culture is looking around and they see these pagan worship experiences where ecstatic, spiritual, out-of-body things are made to be the norm. 
And those are the elevated things. And the people who are really, really, really spiritual, they're having these amazing experiences. And so they're bringing that into the church. And people are getting the gifts of the Spirit, and all of a sudden, real, genuine miracles are happening. And other people see the pagan stuff, and they're saying, wait, 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 wait. If in paganism, the ecstatic means you are most spiritual, then that must be true in Christianity as well, right? So therefore, let's all go for this one gift. Let's all try to get the miraculous gifts. Let's all try to get the sign gifts. Let's all try to speak in tongues. And the more ecstatic and sporadic and crazy our experience, the higher it must be. And the apostle is saying, no, by no means. You guys have focused in on one single thing, one single aspect, and made it the thing with a capital T. He says, back off. Stop. Let me explain to you what is real. And that's what happens then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's going to list a bunch of different things, and these are just examples, and he's going to say, hey, the point of all these different things is whichever one you are, you be you to the glory of God, and don't worry about anybody else. So then, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read that then. So I've hopefully set you in a place to understand this passage. If you brought a Bible, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you did not, and you've got your iPhone or some other app, you'll also find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or, if you're using one of our Bibles in the very back, you'll find it on page 1219. So, whichever version you happen to be using for today, page 1219, the blue Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, paper, electronic. Here we go. I'm going to read down to verse 20, and then throughout the uh, rest of the sermon, I'll kind of summarize some of the other stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, we're not in the physical gifts anymore, we're talking about spiritual. Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here's the deal. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to, ironically enough, mute idols... However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. There's varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, to each one, to all of you guys, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the point. Now, here's some examples. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, extra faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, all of these, all of them are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions, who gives out to each one individually as he wills. For just as, now here's an analogy of a body, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though Many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For look, just as the physical body does not consist of one member but many, so too the spiritual body. So if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body either. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? You get the point. On and on and on it goes. But as it is, God, the designer, arranged the members of the body in each of them as he chose. Now, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, concluding and summarizing, there are many parts, yet one body. You get the point, I hope, don't you? I mean, there's a lot of different varieties but there's one unit and one whole. You could say it a little bit like this, if you will. A mountain is very clear and beautiful and huge and majestic, and it stands in stark contrast to the horizon. When you look out and you see a mountain, you notice that. Wow, there it is. But water that comes off of the mountain and forms the river and provides life to the fields, to the people, to the fruit, to the plants, is just as important. Now, the mountain does not speak ill of the river just because it is not high and mighty, nor does the river scorn the mountain just because it moves swiftly and gracefully. They are both great in their own way. So, too, we as members of the body. In other words, I'm saying you be you, And don't worry about it. Now, let me give you the structure of how I will walk through the text this morning. If you'd like to take notes, here's how we're going to move through this passage. We're going to do it in three steps. The first of which is basically to make the point that we're different. We're different. The second is to say that that's not so bad. In fact, the Godhead, the Trinity, the various members are different in a sense... They differ in function and in role, yet they are the same in essence and equal in value. And finally, we're going to say that we, based on that pattern, are just like the divine. This is by design. So we are different like the divine by design. We are different like the divine by design. One, two, three. So let's look at the fact, first of all, that we're different. I didn't read these verses at the beginning, but um, you'll be interested in them because of their theological implications. Verses 28 through 30 establish the difference in people through a series of rhetorical questions. Paul is trained in Greek rhetoric and philosophy, so he's going to ask these questions in a way that presuppose an answer And it's kind of like a jab in boxing. It's a set-up punch for the knockout, okay? So he is setting you up to make his point. Here he goes. He says, And God has appointed, verse 28, in the church. This is the way God established the church. First he appointed apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Now, here's the jabs. Is everyone an apostle? The rhetorical answer, of course not. 
Is everyone a prophet? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer, obviously, is no, 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 no. That's why he's asking these questions. But that's so important for us to realize today is that basically the point is nobody can be everything. And you realize this in your practical lives, right? I mean, so many times we as people, we see a great athlete and we say, ooh, I'd like to be a great athlete. But is that great athlete a great physician? Is he a great engineer? Is he a great scholar? Can he do construction? He can't meet all of your needs. He can't fix your car. He can slam a basketball, but he can't fit underneath the hood, right? You need different people to do different things. And that's sort of a given. And the apostle is saying it's the same way in the church. Look, not everybody can be one thing. Now, why is that important? Well, here we are at a free church, which, you know, is intentionally inclusive and careful about speaking about things which we can disagree. And yet, if you go to another church, there might be churches, in fact, I know there are, that will say everybody has to have certain gifts. And in fact, some will even push it so far to say you're not saved if you don't. And that's heresy. That, that conflicts with the gospel, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now, some of them may not say, okay, you don't have to have this gift to be saved, but you have to have it in order to be spiritual. That's just what the Corinthians were doing. They're emphasizing a singular gift and saying this is the ultimate ecstatic experience. And in order to be a truly spiritual Christian, you have to manifest this gift. The apostles say, no, by no means. Look, do all speak with tongues? No. The obvious answer is no. Not everybody. Doesn't mean that some don't, but it means that everybody doesn't. Do all possess the gifts of healing? Of course not. That's what the Bible says right here in verses 28 through 30. So if you go to a place and they're like, everybody should do this, you immediately step back and say, whoa. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. In fact, there are places where it says it doesn't. Not everyone. We're different. Not everyone has all the gifts. It's just that way. Now, some people will reply to you and they will say things like, well, um, don't you believe in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I have to step back from that for a minute and say, wow, what do you mean? Are you saying I'm a heretic? Of course I believe in the Holy Spirit. Of course we do. You have to believe in the Holy Spirit in order to be a Christian. If you reject the existence of the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. We believe in one triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father's not the Son, Son's not the Spirit, Spirit's not the Father, but they're all God. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're not a Christian if you don't believe in the Trinity. And so here we are in this passage, and we have to admit, we come to a spot where it says we're different. Not everybody has all the same gifts. What gift you possess? Good. Praise God. But they're not all the same. This is a big deal. And we can come to this and we can say, wow, you know, like, let's jump out and jump back into our, our parenting illustration. We can look at these little kids and we can say to them, ah, oh, silly kids, that's so funny. I buy one gift and everybody wants it and then there's fights over it and then I have to buy two more. Blah, 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 you know. 
But we as adults, we do that all the time too. You know, I as a dad am just as guilty as my children. I look across the street and I say, well, that house is a lot nicer than mine. (laughs) Boy, his grass is perfect. (laughs) Mine is full of ragweeds and blah, 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 and I can't even get it to grow. And I see my seeds just sitting there on the ground. (laughs) And they're still sitting there. (laughs) Yeah, he has more sun on his side of the street. And he has less trees and he's got less shade and he's got less pine needles and he's got it all just right. Man, mine's a mess. And there I go wanting to have the gifts that my neighbor has. And I can do that in so many different ways. I can say, well, that person's smarter, that person's richer, that person's better looking, that person's in better shape, that person's got a nicer, newer car, blah, 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 blah. And I can go all day long about how I wish I had what they did. And the real father is sitting upstairs saying to me, hey, I give you good gifts. Why are you complaining about what you have? They're all different. You can't ever expect to be exactly like the guy next door. I never intended it to be that way. That's one of the things I tell my children is, look, I'm not trying to be equal with you guys. I'm going to buy your sister a dress, and I'm not buying you a dress. Okay? It's just never going to be that way. (laughs) We're not going to be equal. You're different. I have no intention of being totally, you know, completely exactly the same with you guys ever. Never am I going to even try for that. Well, guess what? So too with the Father. You are one body. You're the body of Christ. But He has no intention of making you all the same. You're different. And, we, and, and it's so funny because we look at our kids and we're like, can't you just get over that? But we've got to look at ourselves and say, man, can't you just get over that? You are never going to be as tall as that guy. You're never going to have the same hair color. Your metabolism's different. Your athletic abilities, your mental abilities, your parenting, your gifting, it's all different. We just got to get over it. Get over it. We're different. There it is. We're different. So, first of all, we're different. But secondly, look, it's not so bad. The Trinity is different as well. Now, you may think this must be my hobby horse or soapbox, but I'm just trying to show you that it's actually biblical. If you look in verses 4 through 6, guess how this is set up? Exactly like the male-female headship with head coverings and hair length and all that in the previous chapter, so too here. There's a headship, a spirituality, and the Trinity. Now let me spell it out for you directly in these verses. If you're looking at the slides, you can see that the Apostle Paul, following perfect Hebrew rabbinical poetic style, whoa, mouthful, is made this basically stacked on top of each other to be all the same. This is synonymous parallelism. It's repetition for the sake of making a point. Their poetry doesn't necessarily rhyme like ours, but the structure is intentional. Look at how this is set up. See the underlying words. We have gifts, service, and activities. Okay, And then we have the Spirit, the Lord, that's Jesus, and God. So in other words, what's happening here? Well, let's read it. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a a variety of activities. Look, it's all the same, but it's the same God who empowers them all. In other words, what are we saying? Look, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. Okay? So you get the gifts. He's the giver. There's a variety of gifts. Gifts, spirit. Gifts go with spirit. But then you take those gifts 
and you employ them or you use them in what? In the service of the Lord. In the Lord's service. And who is it that produces the result that empowers them all? God the Father. God the Father. The working, the ergon, the energy, the activity comes from God. So here it's an absolutely beautiful thing. If you listen to it in a succinct summary, we receive the gifts of the Spirit to employ in the Lord's service to do the work of the Father for the glory of the triune God. Amen? You see how this works? It's perfect. Guess who set it up that way? The one who's perfect. We receive the gifts of the Spirit to employ in the work of the, the service of the Lord to do the work of the Father for the glory of the triune God. That's why it's a real problem if you go to a church and they're like, Spirit, 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 and that's all you ever hear. You've just way overemphasized one aspect of the Trinity. Likewise, if you go to another church and they're like, Jesus, 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 Jesus is my girlfriend, that's a problem too. You've missed out on another. And if you go to another church and all you hear is, God the Father, stay in submission, then they've overemphasized it as well. You have this perfect triune balance where the Spirit is at work, the Son is in the, you're in the service of the Son, and you're working for by the empowerment and glory of God the Father. That's a triune balance. And that's why the Father gives the gifts, or the Spirit gives the gifts, is to work like that. So we are different, just like the divine. This is completely within the literary context of the epistle or the letter to the Corinthians. This is the way Paul is working with a Trinitarian model to say, hey, you're different. Male and female, you're different. People in the church, you're different. It's not so bad. It's just like the Trinity. And in fact, it's intentional. The Father does it by design. By design. So we are different, like the divine, by design. So the final point is by design. So, verse 11 says this. It says, look, all are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually what? As he wills. This is a sovereign selection process. The God of the universe is at work. This is His good pleasure to choose this. It is not arbitrary. You think it's some random roll of the dice, but the reality is God the Father is at work intentionally, sovereignly, supernaturally superintending this process. This is on purpose, completely and totally. Different by design. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body. How? Randomly? Accidentally? You know, haphazardly? No. As he chose. All of this is on purpose. God made you the way you are for a reason. It is no accident. This is by design. You are different, yes. Like the divine is different. It's not so bad. On purpose. By design. God did this by design. We are a multifaceted force. Now, I, I have a friend who I'll probably talk about a lot because he's a unique fellow. His name is Gunnery Sergeant Ken Thomas. Ura. 
He is a true American, a hardcore Marine, and stereotypical of a Marine in every way. Great, great fellow. One of the things that Ken used to say is, nobody goes into the Marines to be in supply, right? He wants to be a trigger puller. He wants to be out there on the front lines. But he's also got to realize for every one guy that's on the front lines, there's four that support him. Four in the supporting role. Whether it's logistics or supply or medical or transportation or whatever, there's all kinds of people working in other ways so that he can actually execute the action plan. It's on purpose. What good would an army be if you only had Marines? <laughs> You'd never be able to send an email. You couldn't ever communicate. You couldn't do anything. But there has to be logistics, high command, strategy, medical, air, naval, etc. You want a multifaceted force to be able to transport, be strategically, and then accomplish the mission. So too with the church of God in Christ. Look. We've got people in all sorts of positions. You might see me up front because that's what I do. But there are all kinds of people scattered all throughout this congregation that make it possible for me to talk this morning. My voice is coming through this thing and it's working in ways that I don't even understand because we got a whole team of volunteers running our tech setup. Look, we're different. You may never see them because they're behind the black curtain, but you would never hear me were it not for them. So too in so many aspects of this church. You're sitting in a chair that was set out by someone on Saturday night and you had nothing to do with it. It'll get picked up this morning or whatever. There are people at work in so many different ways and we cannot accomplish the mission unless everybody fulfills their role. Earlier in this series, we said, row, row, row your boat. And then someone came to me later and I think it's so accurate and apropos. They said, you know what? If you're so busy rowing, you'll be too busy to rock the boat. If you're rowing, you can't rock the boat. You know, so do your job. Get on board, row. Use your gift. It's it's different, yes, but it's no less value. Look, the apostle says it like this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Is that true? Of course not. You need a foot to take you where you're going to go. If the ear says, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is that true? Of course not. You need both. Imagine this conversation, if you will. Here's here's a metaphorical example playing a bit upon the apostles' uh, analogy here. I'm right-handed, so let us pretend that I broke my right hand. Now, if I did, I would be in a world of hurt, admittedly. But let us instead pretend that I break my left hand. Then naturally we think, oh, you're better off, right? Because it's not your right hand. So my right hand might say to my left hand, boy, good thing it was you, not me. You're not missed at all. Everybody's glad it was you. You're not very important. And the left hand would say to the right hand, oh, really? So you're superior. Right hand would say, yes, my Owner cannot write letters without me. And the left hand would say, well, who holds the paper on which he writes? And the right hand would say, well, who swings the hammer? And the left hand would say, who holds the nail? The right hand would say, who guides the plane across the carpentry board? Not the pastor, that's for sure. 
But the left hand would say, who steadies the board? The right hand would say, when the owner walks down the street and extends his hand to say hello to somebody, which hand does he use? And the left hand would say, well, who holds the briefcase and the money and the wallet when you do? The right hand would say, oh, I pay for things. And he would say, I hold the wallet. You can't do anything without both. And if you've ever been in that position, you find out how difficult it actually is. Look, they are different in function, but they are equal in value. Exactly like the Trinity. Each member does a different job, but they are fully worthy of our worship. It seems arbitrary, but it's not. It's intentional it's by design. And regardless of what gift you have, you need to play it, do it, and use it. Why? Well, how ridiculous would it be if it's a Christmas morning and the kids come running downstairs, they tear open the packages, they find what I've been saving for and I worked so hard to get, and it's sitting there, and they're like, eh, thanks. And they leave them fresh under the tree, and they go outside and play with sticks. I'm like, What? I just worked all year long to buy you that, you know, whatever. And now you're not even interested in using it? Come on, guys. I gave this to you for you to use and enjoy. And it's different than your brothers. It's different than your sisters. But you need to pick it up and play. That's why I gave it to you. Go after it. Use it. Don't sit around looking at everybody else and saying, well, I didn't get one of those or their gift's not mine. You grab your gift and you use it to its fullest ability. Now, let me say at this point, I think this is the intention, this is the intention, however it comes across, of our church when we try to create this thing we call the culture of yes. Now, I know that can be a bit confusing, but the idea behind it is to empower and enable you to use the gift that God has given you. Now, what happens inevitably is there's certain things that you want to do that might require some additional resources. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky because there's some things we can staff, there's some things we can volunteer, and there's others we just can't come up with it because we have limited time and limited resources just like you. And we want you desperately to use your gift We want you to employ it in the service of God. We don't want you to leave it under the tree and let it alone. But not all things can we do. So let me give you an example, not from our church, but a church I pastored several years ago. We had a blood drive. And that's a good thing, right? Giving blood helps people, saves lives. You've got cancer, leukemia. You've got, you know, emergencies, all sorts of stuff. You want to help, save life, give blood. Good thing. Okay, so we open up our church, we move out all the chairs, we you know, let the Red Cross come in, and people come from all over the community. It's announced in the community, so we're clearly contributing to the community, and we want to do a good thing. Then what happens? Well, in a blood drive, they don't want people to faint, and so inevitably what they do is they turn the air conditioning way down low. And then it's, you know, a lot of people who've worked a hard day and they're trying to go home and they may have driven, you know, from their base way out to us and they've got a long drive and so they're hurrying and cleaning up. And guess what? They forget to turn down the air conditioning, which they set at like 55, which our unit can never do, but it constantly blows in order to try to get there. And then eventually what happens? 
the line freezes up. And then the line freezes up, and all of a sudden it cracks and breaks. And guess what happens? Water's coming down. And then we got water damage on the floor, and in our curriculum, and in our closets. And all of a sudden we come in the next day, and there's a pool of water. And we're like, oh, man, what do we do? And we got to shut off the water and call the HVAC people and clean up the mess and then let them come back next month. And then next time someone puts in a facility request, this is at a totally different church, and they say, hey, we want to use the this, and you're like, whoa, (laughs) how are we going to do this? Because the reality is a facility has HVAC systems, security, lights, technical things, and we've got to balance all of those, not because we're trying to be selfish with our stuff, instead because we're trying to be good stewards of God's. None of this belongs to us anyways. And just like you would drive someone else's car probably a bit more careful than you would drive your own, so too with us in the church. We don't own this. We're not trying to be selfish. We just got to maximize its potential for the glory of God. And so when we say culture of yes, what that means is it's not necessarily you come and say, hey, pastor, I'd like to, you know, have a party at the church. And I'm like, sure, have at it, you know. Do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Have a party. No, what I say is, okay, tell me about this party. How does this fit with our mission, our vision, our goals? Who's going to take care of all these logistical things? How does this work? Who's going to clean up afterwards? And we have to ask a lot of questions. It's not because we're trying to be self-contradictory and say culture of yes, culture of no. It's because culture of yes means we want to empower you to use your gifts for the glory of God and His service. We want that. But, logistically speaking, to pull off something like what you're doing right now, it requires all kinds of people. And these people have day jobs, and they are volunteers, and they give up their time throughout the week, and they train, and they're very specific. And that's hard to do, you know, on an offbeat thing. So we want, we want to empower you culture of yes but we also be good stewards of what god's given us does that make sense okay so we love you we all this is for your good it's like it's like parents and children right we're like hey you know what guys we want you to be able to do this but freedom and responsibility we want to empower you but we have to work through some stuff here we are so back to the sermon we are different So is the divine, and this is by design. We want you to use your gifts. We are a multifaceted force. Now, this weekend we've got a uh, soccer tournament. You may have driven driven by it. And you can see, you know, all the various people out there, and I don't know if you're familiar with the game or not, but on the playground with young children, inevitably what happens is somebody kicks a ball and then everybody runs to that spot. It's group, you know, mentality. And as you watch, as they develop, as the game grows, then what happens is they learn to hold their positions and think strategically. And it's no longer playground soccer, but instead they're passing it back and forth, and the team that controls the ball is often the team that wins. So I have the distinct privilege right now of intentionally trying to you know, be in the community, and I volunteered to coach a little soccer team, 
And it's a little kid's team, and so it's tricky. Because I'm trying, I'm trying to coach. <laughs> Sometimes they get out there and I'm like, I wonder if they've been coached or not, <laughs> you know? It doesn't look like they've had a coach. I'm trying. I want you to hold your position. So this last week, we had a, we had a scrimmage against an older team. And I went out there with this one little boy during the game. And I said, okay, I'm going to be with you this whole time. <laughs> and you're going to stay right here with me. And the ball would get kicked in, and he'd be like, Psh. I'm like, come back. Ball kicked in, come back. <laughs> you know, stay in your position. Stay in your position. And I kept yelling at the kid on the other side, cross the ball, pass, pass. And boy, we waited like the whole game. Then eventually at the end of the game, guess what happened? He crossed the ball. This guy was the only guy here. All the defenders were on the other side. He got the ball. He kicked it. And he missed. (laughs) But (laughs) we did it. We held our position. For that one time, we stayed in our spot. Next time, maybe we'll make a goal. I don't know. But it was an exciting thing to see him finally grasp this concept. Hey, you know what? It may be that the ball's on the other side of the field. And that seems to be where all the play is going on. That's the action. That's the movement. I can see that. But my coach has called me to this. I need to stay right here where the coach has specifically and intentionally positioned me. And if I hold my position, then eventually the ball will come to me and I will have the perfect opportunity to make the score. That's what we want in the church. Man, hold your position. God has given you a gift. He strategically placed you, and I don't know where that is, and you need to work through and figure out what that is. But when you come to that spot, man, hold it. And let me give you some practical advice and a little help then. We're going to have a class in the next few weeks on discovering your spiritual gift. There's going to be a table out in the hallway. You can go back there. You can speak to the instructor, Mr. Miski, and you can learn how to walk through this process in the community, through the Bible, and discover your spiritual gift. You grab a hold of that, you employ that, you hold your position, and you're going to do well. And that's what we want for you as part of this church. Midland Free, hold your position. This is a multifaceted force. You don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. You be you. You're different, like the divine, By design. And so we go back to the very beginning of the book where the apostle starts it like this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, and yea, in Midland as well, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Look at this. You are not lacking in any gifts. God gave them to you and you can use them. And as you do so, you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus because God is faithful. Not because you get it right every time. You may say, yeah, I'm, I'm a hitter. Okay, and you step up to the plate and you strike out. Swing again. Come back. Use your gift. Not everybody hits it every time, even if it is your gift. Try again. The key is, you be you and you let God be God. If you're you, you're good. And if God is Him, you're good. Because God is faithful. You just call on God to be God and He'll come through. And then you be you. 
Say, Lord, you be you because you're faithful. And I'll be me. And when you come to my aid, when you empower, when your spirit gives, then it'll work. You be you, God. I'll be me. We'll all be part of one body in the church. And everything will work out fine. Midland Free, I go back to the same question I asked you at the beginning of this series. Are you ready to be who you are? Are you ready? Be who you are. We need to get beyond the, hey, if he has one, I want one, to the point where we say, you know what? I am so glad God gifted you that way. That is awesome. I am really glad he gave you the gift of giving. You can give so much more than I do. I am so thankful for that. Praise God that you have the money and I don't. Huh? Or anything. Praise the Lord. Be who you are. Not too long ago, I did one of the things that dads do, and that's sneak treats, right? Like, your kids can only have so many treats because you know what happens to them with sugar. But dads, we can handle it. So, we're all right. We know where everything's hidden, and we go find the treats. And when they were little, I used to get away with this, but now as they're getting bigger, they catch me in the act. I was like, man. So eventually, I give up with sneaking it, and I'm just kind of like, grab it, Right? And originally, for a long time, it was, oh, why do you get one and I don't? And I'm like, well, because I'm the dad and you're not. Because I work and you don't. <laughs> you know, whatever. But if it, I, I try not to say that. I'm being facetious, you know. But I do eat the candy. And then here I am. I'm the dad, right? So I grab it out. And I'm expecting, I mean, I'm grabbing it. I'm thinking somebody's going to shout at me right now. But I think eating this candy is going to be more beneficial than that pain that I'm going to get. So I'm going for it, right? Dove dark chocolate, here we come. So I'm reaching up, grabbing the candy, and one of my sons sees me about to eat it. And I kid you not, he said, Dad, I'm so glad you get to eat that. I was like, Yes, (laughs) we're getting there, we're making movement. Can we do that? Can we try that, church? Next time you see somebody else doing something you can't and you wish you could, instead of saying, ah, hold on. Say, Lord, I'm so glad you gave that to them. Man, what a blessing. They can do that and I can't. Lord, may that bring glory to you. What a wonderful gift you've given. You're the giver of all good things and we praise you for it. God, for your glory. By the power of the Spirit and the service of the Son, for the glory of God. Amen. Father, we're so thankful for your good gifts. We'd be remiss and fools if we didn't say thank you. It's not by our work. It's all by yours. So, Lord, as you empower, as you give, we'll praise you for it. Help us to use our gifts in service of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is John Flacey. I have the privilege of serving on our elder board. And as the ushers come to get the offering, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you, our sovereign God, who created all things and continues to maintain them. We thank you for your design for families and the unique role that our mothers have. 
We thank you for all the local ministries in our community that serve to strengthen families and support mothers. Thank you for the generous giving of people at Midland Free and elsewhere that strengthens these ministries. We pray for protection of our families at Midland Free. We pray that our family ministry servants would have a spirit-led passion for their work and that many needy relationships would benefit from your care. Now, Lord, we ask for your blessing on this offering and for your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen.